Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. So anyway, this week we continue on, uh, on the series that we, uh, Pastor Mark started last week. And just to, just to get into, uh, uh, to lay down some uh, foundations, uh, we are in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans, if you have done a study in the book of Romans, you can divide it in, uh, uh, in a couple of different ways. You can divide it through, uh, by the focus that it will give you, the topics according to chapters, and also the topics according to subjects. And as I was uh, preparing for this, what I saw was this. You can divide Romans from chapter 1 to chapter 11 as a doctrinal, and chapter 12 to chapter 16 as behavioral, which means the last, the chapter 12 to 16 is really where we're focusing at. It's how Christians should live out their faith. Okay? And I'll get back to that, why I, why I had to say that. So as previously mentioned last week, our relationship with Jesus is never detachable from any part of our life. The moment that you give your life to, to Jesus, the moment that you pray that prayer, that that becomes part of your life and it will affect every aspect of your life. Your thought, your words, your actions, and your relationship. And we saw this last week on how our relationship with Jesus affects our relationship in submitting to authority. And last week, Pastor Mark ended with a statement of encouragement when he said, if there's no other reason for you to submit to authority, hopefully this would be that encouragement, that every single person is created in the image of God. And if for no other reason, and he repeated that twice, just because they're a human being, they deserve to be honored because they bear the image of God. And today, we basically go back or we, we just continue on on this series. Because today we're going to be talking about authentic Christianity in relations or in relationship with other people, in loving our neighbor. And our text for today is Romans 13, chapter 13, verse 8 to 10. Go ahead. If we just read, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not wrong to, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you as we go into this series that in the times where it is difficult, Father, just to, to practice what you preach, I pray, Father, that we would look unto you and allow you, like what Pastor Mark said, allow you to be the king of the mountain in our life. That you take place and you take precedence and you be the one to rule and to reign in our life. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. So far, I know this is one of the, uh, I feel like this is one of the more difficult series that we, that we, uh, that we have uh, gone through. In fact, just trying to study for this, I find it so difficult. Just really, how do you take an angle? How do you take an angle on this? Here, in chapter 13, starting at verse 8, Paul begins right away when he said, 
Can you put up the first one, please? Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What has love and law got to do together? How can love and law be together? How does love and law even relate to our relationship with other, or how does it even relate to the responsibility that we have towards other people? Usually when we speak of love, the first chapter or the first book that comes to mind is what? First Corinthians, the love chapter, the ones that we use in the wedding. Can you uh, pop that up, Grace? First Corinthians chapter 13. It says that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I mean, we can just get this right now and put it right there. And what Paul is saying is that I urge you that this is what you do towards one another. That man should love one another. Correct? But what's interesting is, if you really look up the word love, you'll be surprised to find out that the very first mention of the word love is not even talking about the love of man towards God, or is it even talking about the love of God towards man, the love of a man towards a woman, or the love of a woman towards a man. But what's interesting is, and it's so surprising, that the first mention of the word love in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, if you're, excuse me, if you're familiar with it, is the story of Abraham when God told Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac. So here it is, Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, he said, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and that's the first mention of love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him up there, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Isn't that interesting? The first ever mention of love in the Bible talks about the love of the Father towards His Son. Does it remind you of a New Testament verse? For God so loved the world that He gave His one, depending on translation, His one, only, his one and only Son or His begotten Son, and this really, church, this verse or this chapter really becomes our biblical standard for love. Because this is a picture of a perfect love of a father towards his son. But in this story, of course, we know when Abraham was about to put that dagger on Isaac, an angel of the Lord appeared and said, Abraham, do not lay a knife on the child. Isn't it not? And this was really a picture or really God telling Abraham, I withheld you from touching your son. But 2,000 years later, at this same mountain called Golgotha, the same mountain ridge of Moriah, I will have my son pick up also a wood, climb up that mountain, and he will be sacrificed. And this time, I would not withhold my hand from him being sacrificed. And why would I do that? Because I love you, basically. And this has become our biblical standard for love. See, God did not withhold from putting judgment on Jesus because, of course, as we know, it was the judgment really wasn't for Jesus, but it really was for us. 
So that really is that biblical pattern for love. It's not really a love of man towards another man, a love of man towards God, but it's really a perfect love that the Father had towards His Son. And remember, in the New Testament, twice, it was twice that God proclaimed it publicly. One was when Jesus was uh, baptized. He was raised from the water. God the Father spoke and said, This is my Son, whom I love, and in Him I am well pleased. Another event that took place where God publicly declared it was in the mountains when Jesus was transfigured. The same word came from the Father where he said, This is my son, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. Follow him. So God the Father, as, you, as I've showed you two verses, loved Jesus so much, but yet he was willing enough to give him up. So what does that tell you about us? If God the Father was so willing enough to give up his very own son, who he said, this is my son who I love and I am well pleased, but I am willing to give him up for you. So what kind of love does he have for us? Church, this is the love that I believe that Paul was talking about. Because as I said earlier, Romans chapter 1 to 11 was really laying down foundations for Paul. In fact, I got a, a knock of common sense when I was doing this. So as I said earlier, Romans is 16 chapter, 1 to 11 was really foundations. 12 to 16 is four, uh, four chapters. But yet, Paul took 11 chapters to lay down a foundation. What kind of foundation? It was really a display of God's love for us through the work of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Paul took 11 chapters to show us how much God loves us through Jesus Christ. Here are some verses from Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, please. It says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The next one, chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Then the next one, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither heights nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing, church? 11 chapters, Paul took 11 chapters to lay down a foundation so that you can see that God the Father displayed so much love for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the turning point really is chapter 12 of Romans because now he ships and he begins by, I beseech you therefore, my brethren, that present yourself as living sacrifices because of the great mercy of God that he has for us. Present yourself as living sacrifice and this is your spiritual act of worship. So what he took from from verse 1 to 11, now Paul is encouraging, more of challenging the believers in Rome to put it into practice. Put all this love that I have shown or put all the love that the Father has shown for us and now let us put it into practice. And we began, by, we began putting that into practice by last week's message in submitting to authority. And this week, that comes back again. We put that into practice by loving one another. Amen? Thank you. Thank you for that hallelujah, brother. See... It's just a knock of common sense. I was telling my wife, wow, it's like 11 chapters, 4 chapters, common sense. Which do you think we should concentrate more? 
right? 11 chapters, the love that God has for us through Jesus Christ. And this is really, and, and really church, this is the core of Christianity. This is the core of the church. This is the core of our message. That Christ or God the Father so loved us as he was willing to give up his son for us. And when God did that or when Jesus did that, did he require any repayment? No. Did he require us to pay it back? No. At the first place, we can't. At the second place, it's, it's, uh, it's grace. It's unmerited. You cannot pay for it. And if you do have a chance to pay for it, I don't know how many lifetimes it will take you to pay for it. But we only have one. And it's in that same love, in that the same abundance of love, that's why we are able to love one another. See, church, a lot of times when, when uh, messages like this is preached on churches, it's kind of heavy because it feels like it's an obligation. And that's my struggle every time I come around, uh, across messages like this. I cannot satisfy myself to just really receive it as an obligation. I always have to look around and say, Father, you are not like that. You are not a God who gave me an obligation to perform because you never required your love to be repaid. So there has to be a reason around it. And, uh, and that's exactly the reason how we can have a responsibility towards others is because he has so much abundant love for us. I've showed you a couple of verses out of Romans. I mean, if you can read chapters 1 to 11, I mean, just, the, the, just 9, 10, and 11 shows you how we as Gentiles, because we're a Gentile, we're not Jewish. We were no, it was never in the, uh, I guess, in the great wisdom of the Father, the Gentiles will come in. But it, as you read through the, the writings of Paul, he says, I be, he, you can feel the, the heart of Paul that he feels uh, almost so sorry for his his brethren for the for the nation because he they rejected Jesus and through their rejection we as Gentiles are able to receive all the blessings that they have. So one day, I, I, I'm trying to make it to a point that one day if I if I meet a, a full-blooded Hebrew, I have to thank them. Thank you, thank you that through you and through your God I am so blessed. And 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 that's what Paul was really showing. And, and Paul was showing that to the because remember he was writing to the Church of Rome. They're Gentiles and saying that because of the rejection of the chosen one, we receive so much blessing. Ephesians tells us of all that blessing. Adoption, salvation, we're not there, but uh, read, read through it. Okay? And, it's, uh, and, 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 that's, and that's where we really are able to love one another because when we see just the abundant love of God towards us, that we who did not deserve forgiveness, like what we were saying earlier, we that did, we did not deserve salvation, we that we did not deserve the blessing of God, we got it. Yes. Out of what? Was it through our action? No. And yet he did not require any repayment for it. So how do we repay him? Our repayment is loving one another. That's the repayment that I don't even think it's a requirement. I, I cannot even say the word requirement. Because I believe because, uh, because of that overabundance love that, that he has for us, it becomes effortless to really give. It's like giving. When you're so blessed by God, giving really becomes so effortless. That's generosity. Take that in love. It's, I believe it's the same thing. Where am I? <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't in my notes, Sorry. So when we realize and we experience this love of the Father for us, 
really loving others is just really an overspill. Come on. And I remember my first message of abundant life. I, I gave you an illustration of the Gatorade. Remember that? It was my first message at the other building, that Gatorade uh, illustration. When you have such an abundant life that overflows, you can just trip over and say, Oh, God bless you, and you spill your love over people. And I believe that's how it is because of the overabundance of, of the blessings and the love and the generosity of God in our life. It's easy to overspill it toward others. It becomes effortless really to love on people. Hopefully, right? That's how it is. So, so how do we grow in that? Well, the, the, the point of how to grow in that is really to keep walking with the Lord. That's the point. I know I'm supposed to go to this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me just drink. So can you bring back um, 13 verse 8, please? 8 and 9. So owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Oh, no. Just that one. 8. It says, except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other. That's it, church. That's what Paul really is uh, trying to tell us. We have this responsibility or we have this obligation to love others. And that obligation, I almost don't want to say obligation. I, I believe it's really an overspill of the abundant love that we, have, that we have received and that we have seen and that we have experienced from God himself. That we are able to love each other. But since we're in this message, let's continue. So what does love and law got to do? Why, why is it together? Why would Paul say that the fulfillment of the law is through love? Well, uh, next verse, please. Verse 9. So Paul continues on to say this. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall, not, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Keep it there. You notice how the commandments tend to have a negative nature. It's all about do not, shall not, do not, you shall not. It has a negative connotation to it. It tend, it, the, the law or the commandments has a tendency of prohibition rather than promotion. The law is more focused on the prevention of evil than it is in the promotion of good. You notice that? So in this text, Paul mentions four actions, okay, and that's a murder, adultery, stealing, and covet, covetousness. Oh, that's my Filipino accent. Covetousness. See, these four actions, few would probably argue that murder and stealing is wrong, right? Very few would argue. It's almost like everybody would agree stealing and murder is wrong. But the two other sins, if you bring it out to the world today in our society, adultery and covetousness, somebody would probably even argue it's okay. It's acceptable now. Adultery is hardly considered immoral now, let alone it's... It's not even illegal. In Guam, what do you call that? Chatmak? Is that what you call it, right? In the Philippines, we call it kirida. In English, it's basically mistress. In God's word, it's called adultery. And in God's word, it's a sin. And God says, do not. So, why, so going back to the law, the law prohibits harm. The law prohibits evil to be done to other fellow men. 
So when God gave the law, what he's really telling them was that, I prohibit you from harming your fellow man. I prohibit you from putting harm on them. Because adultery does bring harm. Okay? And usually the, the reason why people believe that it's okay or our society accepts adultery is because it believes there's an expression of love that's associated with adultery. They, they give this assertion that the, the, the love that was in the first marital union is now gone and there's this new love on this extramarital affair. They give that assertion. So therefore, they, they, uh, society has uh, accepted it as it's okay because it's an ex- expression of love. But as we looked at the, our expression of love from the Bible, it says love does, does not rejoice in what is wrong. It does not rejoice in evil. It does not envy. Words of contradiction. So in God's word, adultery is simply wrong because it is sin. God says uh, it brings harm. It does great damage to the individuals and to the families it, uh, that's involved. It, in, it destroys the intimacy of the marital union. It produces no good and brings evil. See, you do not commit adultery because you are in love. As, as, as I guess that's how society uh, takes it. You commit adultery as a sin against love. Sorry, if, if, that's your, if that's your position, God says it's sin, and it has, a divine, uh, it has an eternal divine condemnation that's associated with this. Covetousness is another thing that a lot of people may not, uh, might argue that it's okay. I've done nothing wrong. But the, but the root of covetousness really is, is that attitude where you desire a good or you desire the good of others and you want to gain it to the expense of that person or to the expense of that, uh, uh, your neighbor. Take for example, if my neighbor had a, have a Wrangler, uh, I kind of like a Wrangler. Let's just say a Wrangler. Four-wheel drive, Wrangler, yellow. That's my, that's my choice of color. All the, all, all the four-wheel drive, everything souped up, and then I, I realized that he's going through some financial troubles. Oh, man, he lost his job. Oh, man. Man, but I really like his Wrangler. I hope he sells it for a cheap price when he loses his job. See, that's covetousness. You covet something that you don't have in the, his expense. And what, what happened when he finally had uh, no money? When he tries to sell it to you? Bro, man, I'm sorry, but I only have 5000 Would you take it? Quiet, right? It's okay. That's not us. Okay? And that's what it is. Co- covetousness, even covetousness, God says, do not. Because it is rooted in harming your fellow man. So how does love and law fit together? It says that, uh, verse 9, it says, the, or there it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Next verse, please. It says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When you love your neighbor, you will not wish harm on your neighbor. And the law demands, or the law is instituted that way. The law was instituted to protect your fellow man. So if you moved in love according to the great love that we have from the Father, and we move in love towards our own neighbor, then we fulfill the law because love will never wish harm on another person. Amen? Five minutes. So you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
See, no man or nobody would wish harm on their own. Do you? Would you wish harm on your own self? Let's concentrate on that last verse where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody here who's crazy enough to wish harm on their, on their own self? No, right? In fact, the opposite is true. We all want the best stuff that we can get, the best house, the best car. What else? The best accessories for our new phone, the best bag, the best shoes. I like shoes. I always like, and, and, my shoe, and the shoes out there for men are expensive, but yet I, I still get it, okay? Because I want the best, and that's what we want best for us. And sometimes the church, <laughs> well, this is our fault as a church, we condemn it when we so we're so focused on ourselves, isn't it? Not in fact, I think we as a uh, Pastor Mark probably uh, we have. I think we have been guilty when we when we tell people that you know what, don't be so focused on yourself. Because when we pray, we're so our prayer is always, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. Isn't it not? Because that's what it is. There's an innate desire within us to really what to pursue happiness for our own self. Who, who, the, who does not? Wouldn't you? You want the best things in life? And sometimes the church uh, tells us that, hey, probably we should take that, we, sh- we should start focusing on our duty to love others. We should start focusing on our prayers, that we should turn it around and, and we should be praying for other people. And, so, and, and I, I believe we have done that in the past. We have said that from the pulpit where we say, you know, it, it's almost unreligious for us, or it's, so un, uh, it's almost so wrong that we're so focused on ourselves, on the things that we need, and all of this, that we forget our neighbor. But yet, Paul gives a more radical suggestion than that, when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. See, there, God knows that there is this drive within us, that, that there's this pursuit for us to find happiness. And no man, I believe, or... Everybody in their own power will do everything. If you're hungry, what do you do? You want to eat, right? You want the best restaurant. If you're thirsty, you do the same thing. If you want to, to buy clothes, you do the same thing. We have that, inner, uh, that drive within us to pursue, to pursue our happiness. So Paul really does not condemn that. But rather what, he's, what he talks about when he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself is take that same desire. Take that same craving. Take that same longing to get everything that you need to pursue your happiness and use that same degree to love your neighbor. That's the more radical suggestion that Paul was saying. He's not condemning you or he's not stopping you to uh, stop being selfish with your prayer. But rather what he's saying is, now take that fervency to pray for your blessing and use that same fervency to pray for the blessing of your neighbor. I believe that God is big enough for both of us. That's just what I believe. That's what <laughs> is that wrong? I don't think so. God is big enough for both of us. Amen. And let's just close. So really, church, that, that responsibility to love others, that responsibility to, to love our neighbors or, as ourselves, I believe we can take it or we can be as who we are. The same fervency that we pray for God to bless us. The same fervency when the things that we desire to have in our own, for our own happiness. We take everything that we have, that same prayer, that same, that same passion. 
and we flipped it around and we give it the same to our neighbor. I believe that's really what Paul was saying when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Because nobody would harm their own self. Nobody. Amen? So really, just to sum this up, I believe this is what Paul was saying from verse 8 to 10. This is really his summation of this, uh, of this uh, teaching. We are to view our neighbor from the perspective of love. And when we do that, we will always seek his good. Isn't it not? We would avoid doing what is harmful to that person, and thus we will, feel, we will fulfill the law. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for today. And Father, thank you, O oh God, that you are a big God, that you are so much bigger, that sometimes we, we think that what you have for us or what you have blessed us with, we have to share. And yes, there is that, that righteousness that comes with it. You even said that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And Father, thank you that in this second part of authentic living, in loving our neighbors, we thank you that God, because it, was, it comes from an abundant love that you have for us that can overspill over our life that we can love one another, that we can, with the same desires, with the same craving, and with the same passion, that we want our lives to be blessed, we can do the same thing. With the same measure that we have, Father, we can love our own neighbor for that. And Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a big God. You've proven in the past. And I pray, Father, for our people, that they would just, as, as Paul said it in chapter 12 of Romans, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this word, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way we look at you, by changing the way we see you, that you are an abundant God, that through that we can love one another. This I pray in Jesus' name.